0: Welcome to Plural Space, Conversations in Lung Cancer. In this new limited series entitled The Power of Partnerships, we connect medical professionals and patients across the care continuum for real conversations about lung cancer. Each episode will focus on one facet of this complicated field. And feature the people striving to make it better.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Efren Flores, and today you're joining our podcast series from the National Lung Cancer Roundtable in collaboration with the American College of Radiology. And we have a panel today of incredible collaborators and strong advocates for lung cancer screening and lung cancer. So just to get us started, again, my name is Efren Flores. I'm a radiologist at Massachusetts General Hospital. I'm a member of the National Lung Cancer Roundtable. And I'm a thoracic radiologist and a health services researcher focused on increasing access to lung cancer screening among underserved patient populations. And with that, I would like to introduce my colleague, Dr. Jeff Yang. Great.
2: Thank you, Efren. I'm Jeff Yang. I'm a thoracic surgeon at Mass General. I work closely with Efren on a lot of patient care issues, and also we share a lot of the same passions with lung cancer screening. I work with American Lung Cancer Screening Initiative. Very excited to be here. Also with us are Alex Potter and Jella Zhou from the American Lung Cancer Screening Initiative. They have both done a tremendous amount of work in outreach and advocacy. So Alex, would you like to introduce yourself?
3: So my name is Alex Potter. I am the director of the American Lung Cancer Screening Initiative. We go by ALSI for short, so that's probably what we'll refer to ourselves as here during the podcast. And we're very excited to be here and grateful for the opportunity to share some of our work and participate in this conversation about increasing awareness of disparities and efforts we can take to reduce them. And I'll hand it off to Jella.
4: Hi, everyone. My name is Jella Joe. I'm one of the outreach leaders for LC. And again, to echo Alex, super excited to be here today and have this conversation.
1: That's great. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And to us, what the group represents, multidisciplinary approach that we are focused on in terms of increasing access to lung cancer screening and lung cancer care, and that's the type of transdisciplinary collaboration that are needed across this healthcare continuum, particularly for lung cancer, and improving outcomes for all our patients. So one of the things that as we get started when we were talking earlier is that when we think about patient populations and vulnerable populations or underserved patient populations and discrimination, It can have many faces. When we think about health disparities in lung cancer outcomes and lung cancer screening, we think about racial and ethnic minority population. But there's another patient population that I work with is are patients with severe mental illness and particularly those with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder who have a relatively higher smoking prevalence and relatively higher mortality related to cancer and premature mortality overall compared to the general population because of fragmentation of care between mental health and other services in the healthcare system. And one of the things that when people ask, well, oh, how do we get involved or how do we start in decreasing health disparities we always say that words matter so language is a very important first step to address health disparity because building trust it's a critical component and we can do that by using language that is person first but also non-stigmatizing so we don't talk about for example the international association for the study of lung cancer provided an incredible guide that is a resource in terms of talking about eliminating blame language, person first language, language that ends the stigma. So we don't talk about smokers. We talk about people who formerly smoke, and we don't talk about medical conditions defining the individual. We talk about the person with a medical condition, so we don't talk about lung cancer patient or diabetic patient. We talk about patients with lung cancer or with diabetes because a medical condition, including cancer, do not define... The person. So I'm just wondering, for example, Jeff, in your practice, like where are potential areas that you could use this from getting your surgical perspective, but also your policy and advocacy perspective and experience in terms of like how we can incorporate some of this language into other areas?
2: Thank you, Efren. Yeah, I think it's really important to recognize the role of stigma and to really try to decrease stigma. And part of that is in. The language that you have just talked about. But I think it's really important for us as providers to just start off with listening and to be humble listeners and to really develop trust with our patients and to make sure it's a very safe and supportive environment as we talk to our patients. There's a lot of implicit bias probably, that is not recognized in the hospital system and when we care for our patients. And in medical schools these days, I think there's a lot more recognition of the importance of recognizing implicit bias and how implicit bias shows itself in clinic and when you're talking about lung cancer screening. So in terms of things that moving forward, what we can do in 2020 and beyond that I've learned from just talking to patients and in our outreach experiences. One thing is to really try to get a sense of how people experience stigma and why they might feel like they are being blamed or feel uncomfortable getting screened for lung cancer and find out those reasons and then use that as a guide for how to reduce and decrease stigma and implicit bias. I'll turn it over also to Alex and Jella because they've done a lot of outreach in vulnerable populations and to see what you guys feel about that as well.
3: So to provide a little bit of background, one of the things that we do is reach out to different community organizations across the U.S. So for example, we've partnered with the Americana Community Center, which is a refugee community center in Kentucky, to teach them about lung cancer screening and to just increase awareness of lung cancer screening in their community. We've also worked with the American Indian Cancer Foundation, the South Asian Network, a bunch of different community organizations, all with different perspectives of the American healthcare system and with different perspectives of lung cancer cancer and with different perspectives of lung cancer screening. And I think the biggest thing that we've learned from these experiences is understanding that, like, yes, it's people first language, but it's also understanding each community's own unique perspective of healthcare, of lung cancer and of lung cancer screening, because in doing so, it will help inform the way we reach out to them, and the way we talk to them about lung cancer screening. And I think what's interesting is we can look to some COVID-19 vaccination efforts for guidance here. For example, we did an event with one community where there were two Black women who we spoke with had the opportunity to speak with, and they said with regard to COVID-19 vaccination that they were not interested in getting vaccinated for COVID-19. However, when they had the opportunity to speak with their pastor and a member of the community they really trusted to learn about the vaccine, to understand what it did, what its purpose was, then they felt comfortable with going out to get vaccinated. And I think that we can look at that example as a way to increased uptake of lung cancer screening. So making sure that people understand what lung cancer screening is and what it does and why it's important. And when we deliver that information, making sure that we're very sensitive to each individual community's ability to understand the information we're presenting. That is one important strategy and something with ALSEE we're really looking to implement going forward.
4: Yeah, kind of to echo what Alex has been saying, a lot of the work that we do is within communities. We're really just trying to increase the educational awareness around lung cancer screening, specifically among the general population who are the main kind of audience that we're trying to target with our efforts. And so really focusing on kind of, I think what Alex was getting at is like the culturally competent way of disseminating information among these communities is I think really key.
1: I really like some of the topics that you all have mentioned here. For example, when you was talking about listening, right? The listening process and how critical that is, right? So when we're listening to our patients and the community, it's a process that we have to listen with empathy, right? So creating that safe space, no preconceptions and the learned biases. Our learning is an active process, right? So it may be as harder than routine learning because it's something that we have to battle with those preconceptions and really building the trust and creating that safe space so feel comfortable, they feel the community are open to us. And it's not like we come here and provide care. In that process of listening, it's bi-directional, right? So we're learning as well. Not only we're we learning about their needs, but they're also learning about us. And then finding a way like how do we meet in the middle and starting to develop those longitudinal relationships. So Java mentioned, and Alice mentioned about what are some of the lessons learned from the pandemic? But lessons learned from the pandemic don't need to stay in the pandemic. It really how we can use those bridges to transform how we deliver care moving forward and then continue expanding on those relationships and building trust. And it doesn't become a one-off or like a COVID thing. It becomes more like, okay, so these are some of the community engagement or community relations, our patient population that we were able to connect with during COVID as we navigate the pandemic and move forward. What are some of the lessons learned or trust that we built That we can navigate or use them to improve lung cancer outcomes or increasing access for lung cancer screening in the community so i really like that those concepts that you guys talked about because it got me thinking about that
2: those are great points and we didn't get a chance to ask you what your recommendations were because you've done so much for those in the audience i recently went to this lung cancer conference and all they were doing was citing dr flores's papers and studies so (laughs) I think we're going to turn to you, too.
1: you know, it's very humbling, but I have to say that there are two things that come to mind and one you mentioned earlier in terms of the listening component, right? So putting ourselves out there with the community, not assuming that we have the solution, but it really the co-learning and the co-development the true community engagement like a critical component, right? So staying curious, as you mentioned earlier, Jeff in terms of like, we don't know everything and life is a journey and the same thing we're all learning every day and empathy truly at the core of the equity work that we do, but it also also takes a team, right? So it's not a one-person show. It really takes the work of a team, including patients, so we can meaningfully impact, for example, the health disparity in cancer creating access and develop a path moving forward, but also needs in the community because sometimes they may be rapidly changing. So we know that COVID has disproportionately impacted racial ethnic minority community and those from low socioeconomic status backgrounds. And that is going to have not only impact now during the pandemic, but under long-term Health. So, part of our work is to better understand how COVID is impacting how patients are accessing, for example, lung cancer screening during the pandemic and moving forward. So, understanding what are some of the concerns so we can start working in collaboration with patients in the community and how we can develop solutions to address some of those concerns as well.
3: So, Dr. Flores, I was curious to hear your thoughts on. This whole aspect of shared decision-making, because it's a requirement by the Centers of Medicaid and Medicare Services, and how potentially in low-resource areas and in areas where a lot of people may already face many barriers to getting screened, how shared decision-making may also serve as a barrier to these individuals, and how we... As an advocacy group and as physicians, can help address that barrier?
1: I think that when we think about shared decision making, it's the ultimate epitome of like patient-centered care, right? Because it's like empowering patients to gather all the information and then collaborate to make the best health decisions for them. To your point, it may not be tailored to the specific needs and capacity of the patient population. So one of the presentations during the recent National Lung Cancer Roundtable Annual Meeting or NLCRT, discussing how shared decision-making aids for lung cancer screening are not available in multiple languages or the recommended health literacy level. So if we think about, which should be middle school, like sixth grade, based on the American Medical Association or AMA recommended level. So if we think about shared decision-making aids as a tool to empower patients, but if they're not tailored for a specific patient population, let's say those that have limited English proficiency, or for example, some of the work that we've done among individuals with serious mental illness who may have some difficulty with cancer risk or may have more concrete thoughts and may benefit from repetitive ideas. But if the decision-making aid is not tailored to meet those needs, then it may not accomplish the ultimate goal of empowering patients. So there's an incredible opportunity in order for us to tailor those shared decision-making aids. It's important that we connect with the patient population that we're trying to better serve and see what would resonate with them. What is the type of language that would be more engaging for the patient population? Because one thing, what I think well, who better to tell the patient what works for the patient than the patient itself, right? So that's the whole central idea about patient and center tier, like nothing about the patient without the patient, right? So they have to be at the center of it. And the same thing when we're doing the community outreach, can't do anything without the community. So what better way to do community outreach than truly engage in the community so we can co-learn and co-develop the agenda or shared decision-making aids or any new care model that we're trying to expand or develop, what better way to do it than doing it together?
3: I completely agree. I don't know, Jolly, do you have any thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, I also 100% am aligned with that thought. So, through LC, a lot of the work that we do is kind of reaching these communities directly. So Dr. Flores, as someone who is working you know, within the clinic and seeing these patients who come in, what seem to be some of the most typical barriers that these vulnerable populations seem to be bringing in? Is it financial? Is it a stigma or language barriers? What do you typically see in the clinic?
1: I mean, some of the things that the patients have expressed in our focal group discussions and individual interviews, all of them, right? So like complex multifactorial, some patients may be more concerned about insurance coverage, although it's covered, but like if they need additional evaluation or if they need a biopsy, for example, in the case of lung cancer screening, what is the cost for that next step, even if the first step may be covered? So that's a financial concern. Also the concern about getting diagnosed with lung cancer. We talk about the importance of early detection, but I think it, important that we also stress the importance of like the recent advancements in lung cancer care there are many options things that we wouldn't think before now people live longer have more options to treat lung cancer but we don't emphasize that in our lung cancer screening campaigns so they're concerned that if they get a diagnosis or a superficial finding that may be lung cancer that that may be it for them the end of the road but it actually is not the beginning of a different journey for our patients so we can hear a Message of hope, not only talk about how you know potentially connect patients with additional resources, but also talk about that. If we detect something that requires additional evaluation, it may end up being cancer, the best treatment for cancer early detection. So you'll have additional options. Your doctor will have more options to offer to you. And then lung cancer now is more treatable than ever before. So there's a lot of options and we want to give patients that message of hope that we can do something together. But the first step is like providing them with all the opportunity and the infrastructure to take that next step. As we were talking about this, one of the things that came to mind. Earlier in a prior conversation about the dissemination of information and, like, potentially the role of technology, and for example, like tailoring shared decision making. But, like, what's your take on how we can improve the dissemination of information and perhaps leveraging technology?
4: My thought on that is, especially given the pandemic, one good aspect to come from the pandemic is kind of higher usage of technology to reach different groups that would typically be blocked by traditional geographical barriers. And so one thing that a lot of advocacy groups can think of doing is making use of mass, local and social media to disseminate this information. You know, the group that is suggested by the government to get screened is people from the age of 50 to 80. And these people, you know, they're not on Instagram or anything, but Facebook is one thing that a lot of these older populations typically use. And so finding ways to integrate maybe government-funded broadcasts on these platforms where it can reach mass amounts of people at once could be a really great idea. And then also another thing that Elsie has been doing a lot is, like Alex mentioned before, hosting these webinars. I think before the pandemic, a lot of what Elsie was doing was in person, which, you know, has its own merits. But through using Zoom or other virtual video platforms, you can reach a lot of different communities very easily. And so I think really making use of these platforms is kind of a direction that we want to go down in
3: future. To add on to that, I think that one thing that may be interesting to consider moving forward and something that has not been explored a lot in lung cancer screening is to partner with organizations that do a lot of breast cancer screening, like the Komen Foundation and colon cancer screening, and kind of like standing on the shoulders of giants, so to speak, and using their platform to reach a lot of these individuals. Because as we know, colon cancer screening, I think it was just recently moved down to 45, but it's relatively close to the age where lung cancer screening starts. A lot of women who are eligible for breast cancer screening are also going to be eligible for lung cancer screening. So I think there's a lot of potential areas here where we could collaborate and hope to get a lot of these individuals who are getting screened for breast cancer and colon cancer. As we know, the screening rates for those cancers are between 60 to 80%, while the national screening rate for lung cancer is 5.7%. And I think that there's a really incredible opportunity for us to partner with them and hopefully have them help us increase the lung cancer screening rate.
1: That reminds me of during the National Lung Cancer Roundtable, I believe a group in Vanderbilt was talking about how they're doing the Pink and Pearl campaign, you know, the breast and lung cancer screening awareness campaign. And so that would be like perfect synergy in terms of that. And then also like to your point, if you find some studies that have similar cadence, right? So annual screening for breast, lung, and then if you use, for example, colorectal, if you use FIT test or others, or like a one-pass lung cancer screening CT and CT colonography, as well to engage patient population that underserved patient population that may be having difficulty going to multiple appointment, but if we can offer more at each touch point of the healthcare system, then the more likelihood of engaging. So, for example, like Jeff is like you're in thoracic surgery, but you know, you're seeing patients and some patients may be seeing you more frequently than their primary cure. We should have like a more of a team-based approach to lung cancer screening. So when whoever is seeing the patient more frequently as part of the team then can help engage in that conversation and then perhaps assist patients in taking that next step. So I don't know. What are your thoughts about that, Jeff, in terms of like having, you know, other specialty getting involved and having more of a team-based approach to lung cancer screening or any uh, cancer screening in general?
2: I think those are really great points. So right now at Mass General, we have the pulmonary nodule clinic where there's a pulmonologist, radiation oncologist, medical oncologist, thoracic surgeon, radiologist. And it's a great multidisciplinary team effort where we talk about the lung cancer screening CTs and we'll have somebody take the lead on the care, but also know there's a lot of support. But this idea of working with other oncologists from different fields, I think is a very new and very powerful idea. And it's definitely something that we should move towards because like Alex said, there are a lot of women who would be eligible for not just breast cancer screening, but also lung cancer screening, colon cancer screening. And right now it does seem like everybody is in some silo where it's just breast cancer, it's just colon cancer, it's just lung cancer screening. And to be able to team up would be fantastic.
1: So you may hear a very good point in terms of the silos. So one of the things that the pandemic have really resulted is like, because everybody's been remote and like it's been very isolating for like provider, for community, for patients, right? Even those that are in the hospital can you not know, see their relatives as well. So you're wondering in your advocacy work, and this is like open to all of you, what are some of the ways that you've been able to stay connected with organizations and also to keep collaborate, working together to advance the lung cancer and lung cancer screening?
3: So I'll start, and I think the biggest thing we've used is really Zoom. During the pandemic, willingness to communicate and share ideas online, particularly on Zoom, has really increased, and so what we've done at Alsi is really tried to use this platform to reach as many people nationally as we can and just teach members of the community, whether that be a community organization in Southern California or the New York City Health Department, which Jella gave a talk to back in November 2020 during the middle of the pandemic, has been, I think, one of the best ways we've really found to continue our efforts during the pandemic while we haven't been able to do as much in-person community outreach. The other thing that we found has been very helpful is to not limit it just specifically to this one population of individuals who are eligible for screening. So for example, rather than targeting our efforts just to individuals aged 50 to 80, we've really tried to connect with all different parts of the community in order to establish the strongest relationship possible. So for example, we've worked with 105 mayors from every single U.S. state to issue proclamations recognizing November as National Cancer Awareness uh-huh. Month. And then by establishing this connection with the mayor, we are then able to ask them, you know, who would you recommend we reach out to within your community? who is going to help us connect best with your community members? The other thing we've done that might seem a little unconventional to people is we've given presentations to high schoolers with the thought that if we can teach students and younger individuals about lung cancer screening, they may go talk to their parents who have a very special relationship and might be able to teach them about lung cancer screening. So so I think during COVID, it's been, you know, using Zoom, but it's also been using Zoom to connect with very different groups of people in ways that will have a longer-lasting connection and impact on these different communities across the US.
1: I love that idea about the warm handoff, like asking one major to introduce you to the other one because then it makes the connection, especially when you're doing the community engagement piece. Like it's already, you have an introduction, like you have an insight track that can help you mm-hmm. establish that connection, build trust and everything. And so go ahead, Jeff, I didn't mean to uh,
2: Oh, no, not, not at all. And just to add a little bit to that, so not during the Omicron surge, but earlier when things were more stable, we definitely tried to do in-person events, but just we're very thoughtful about it with making sure it was outdoors and wearing our masks and things like that. So it's been a balance of trying to get the in-person with the Zoom. Zoom has been great though. For example, even when we're working with mayors, we've worked with, thus far, I think, think three governors so far too, just being able to talk with folks on Zoom and get invited to their city councils, for example. And then they usually open up the forum to, it's not just the mayor and the city council, but committee members can go on to Zoom. And so that's been helpful. We've also done the in-person events with the mayors too. And that has been a really eye-opening experience for us because I never knew how many community members went to those meetings quite a few. And we realized as we're talking to these different groups, many people don't know much about lung cancer or lung cancer screening. I've gotten the general sense that a lot of folks feel that lung cancer is not an issue anymore when I'm at these events. And then everybody ends up being very happy that we were there to tell them about this. And it does highlight the fact that any kind of advocacy or awareness would help. So, you know, talking about it with your neighbors or friends, not to assume that everybody knows about lung cancer screening or even lung cancer. Because we've definitely been to many places where people have told us, I thought people don't die of lung cancer anymore.
1: Wow, the continued engagement is just incredible. So, thank, so thank what, what do you think have been more effective in your work, you know, in collaboration with Alex and Jeff?
4: Yeah, I think we just try to hit it at every level. So as Alex and Dr. Yang both mentioned, you know, we go from high school to the state level. And then even we've had efforts in passing Congress level resolutions, which Alex, by the way, has been really driving. And so Alcy is really just trying to disseminate the information on all levels. And to kind of speak to the importance of awareness, and education. You know, that's power in the healthcare field. The more you know, you know, the more prepared you feel, both from the provider and patient perspective, especially for patients or individuals who might be eligible for lung cancer screening. You know, there might be a stigma or fear of being diagnosed with lung cancer, which Dr. Flores, you mentioned earlier, but kind of telling these individuals, these populations that, you know, there's lung cancer screening, which is recommended for you. And If you go to these annual screenings, there's a much higher chance that you can be diagnosed if you have lung cancer at a much earlier stage, which compared to if you get diagnosed at a later stage, you know, the prospects of survival are much greater. And so just making sure that people know this information and that they're not being kept in the dark, which can lead to you know, looking over certain populations.
1: You all mentioned about the power of technology and Zoom and how it has been really helpful to engage and continue the incredible work. And well, one of the things sometimes that I think about is like when we were doing individual interview and focus group with some of the Latino patients for about very to lung cancer screening at the beginning of the pandemic. And I remember one you know, primarily Spanish speaking older patients and the way that we were able to conduct this because we couldn't do it in person anymore, it had to be remote. We had to call herself phone and do the zoom like one of the research coordinators had her own speaker and we we're doing the zoom and that's the way that we were able to participate so we had to be a little bit creative and flexible to the patient participating in the focal group but it always reminds me on that there's a lot of patients that are you know from underserved population and a vulnerable population that require that additional assistance right so like additional resource and that the equity piece right so it's not providing all resources to everyone it's like providing the necessary resources so everybody has a fair chance to engage in lung cancer screening in this particular effort, but also reminded me like there's a lot of unmet need because we don't know until we engage in this type of work. So as we are thinking about being in this podcast, wrapping up and the conversation, I'm curious like what are some of those surprises and like that you've encountered in your work and what can we do to improve access to lung cancer screening and lung cancer care for our patients?
4: I just want to mention real quick that I think one thing that we've seen across the board that's a really positive sign is everyone that we've talked to, all the communities, government officials, what have you, they've all been really positive in their response in wanting to further this effort to increase lung cancer screening rates and just awareness about lung cancer in general. And so I think if we keep this momentum up, no matter which group it is that is kind of pushing this agenda forth is just a really good sign.
2: That's great, Jella. And I think moving forward in 2022, one of the things we're gonna really try to do is work with Congress. So right now, when you buy a pack of cigarettes, there's a warning label, right? But we would like to see if we can get a label about lung cancer screening eligibility on that pack or on that box So this doesn't directly address your question of vulnerable populations, but we're hoping like everybody can see that. You know, the reason why I'm hopeful and cautiously optimistic we may be able to get this to happen is because we've had some experience, Alex in particular, and some others on our team with working with Congress in passing resolutions to raise awareness for lung cancer, early detection, and also raise awareness about lung cancer in vulnerable populations and underserved. So Alex, did you want to just talk a little bit about your experience with the resolutions and the most recent one as well?
3: Absolutely. So back in 2020, it was the first time that the Senate had ever passed a resolution recognizing November as National Lung Cancer Awareness Month and the importance of the early detection of lung cancer. And it was a long and somewhat tricky road to get there. Initially, I had reached out to my local congress member in Washington state, and I spoke with his health policy advisor asking, you know, would it be possible to work with you and to work with my congress member to draft and get a resolution recognizing November as National Lung Cancer Awareness Month passed. And the reason why we had even thought of this in the first place is we were looking at pretty much Every other cancer gets a resolution recognizing their awareness month every single year. So breast cancer, colon cancer, even some more rare cancers, every single year the Senate or the House or both passes a resolution recognizing their month as that cancer's awareness month. For some reason, which I think we you know, touched on today with stigma and other factors, there was a resolution back in 2006 that did recognize November as National Lung Cancer Awareness Month in the Senate, but there had not been one for almost 15 years, and there had never been one recognizing the importance of the early detection of lung cancer. And so we felt that you know, if every single other cancer gets a resolution recognizing its awareness month, why not lung cancer? And so after speaking with my health policy advisor, she told me, I don't think it's a good idea. Like it's going to be a lot of work and it's not going to lead to any actionable items to improve awareness. So it was like, that is a bummer because we feel really strongly that we need all the help we can get, all the support we can get from our Congress members, from our communities. And so after doing some digging on the Internet, we found that there is a lung cancer caucus and we reached out to them presented the idea of let's do a lung cancer awareness resolution, worked with them to draft it. And then in 2020, our lung cancer awareness resolution was passed for the first time ever in the U.S. Senate. But that was a huge landmark for us to be able to have leaders of our country recognize that this is a problem. You know, lung cancer screening is important, and we need to continue to address this issue of lung cancer and have concerted efforts between our policymakers and our advocacy groups and the medical community to increase awareness of lung cancer. And then, most recently, this past November, we worked with our Congress members again to pass a resolution in the US Senate, and we were fortunate to really highlight disparities in. The eligibility of women and Black individuals for lung cancer screening highlight disparities in eligibility, highlight disparities in treatment and survival among these particular populations. and really call for increased efforts to eliminate these disparities.
1: No, that's really important. And I think that when we think about like take home points today, like first, like nothing is impossible, right? As long as you have the right effort, the right attitude and the right team of collaborators here. So thinking about like passing that, you know, in Congress to continue with governors to like connecting with our patients and getting them regardless of people that may not be interested or underserved or vulnerable patient population that have a lot of barriers to care. If we put the right effort and the type of engagement, we can certainly get them to work together and, hopefully take that next step for lung cancer screening but also it has to be a team-based approach and you truly listen to our patients needs with empathy no preconception because if we come in with preconceptions we're closing our minds to the opportunity right so we don't think big or like we don't think what other opportunity to make it happen and so on learning biases like that's gonna be one of my take-home points from Jeff and then also the active listening to create safe spaces for everyone, not only us as providers, but also for patients and their community so we can all come together. Any other final thoughts that we close out the podcast today?
2: First of all, thank you so much for this opportunity to share and learn with everybody here. I think I just want to, again, highlight Efren's tremendous work in this field and to encourage everybody in the audience to read what he's been doing. That's definitely one. And then obviously, all the points we've talked about with implicit bias, with stigma, with increasing access in education, and really trying to think outside the box, not just conventionally. Working with different disciplines, different specialties, and different organizations. That's going to be the way for us to approach 2022 and beyond.
1: Very kind, Jeff. You're going to make me blush, and I don't blush (laughs) easily, but my ears are... Yeah, and Alex, any final thoughts?
3: Yeah, I just would echo everything that you guys both said, and especially the thought of, you know, thinking outside of the box. I think lung cancer is such a big problem in the US and in the world, and that It's really going to take a massive collective effort by everyone and to think very creatively about how we address this problem. And so we're very excited for 2022 to continue our efforts and then to collaborate with people who are interested in helping us increase awareness and increasing access to lung cancer screening in our communities.
4: Yeah, I think to echo what everyone has been saying... A lot of work has been done already for lung cancer screening, but there's a lot more work that can be done. And it's great to hear that everyone kind of on board with that. And there's a lot of new innovative ideas going around.
1: love that because the disparities and the discrimination to our patient population and the vulnerable populations are going to be very different depending on the healthcare setting. So keeping your mind open, moving forward and like trying to discover those, regardless of the healthcare setting, may be people from community with lower socioeconomic background or like limited injury proficiency, maybe people. With severe mental illness, maybe individuals that may not have a lung cancer screening facility available in their community because they're a rural location. So, just staying open to collaboration and being in the lookout and addressing them. Not to have people that are listening to feel discouraged, but think about like many small wins built to a larger win. If you're thinking about where to start, start with words, right? Words matter. And that's an incredible first step. Uh, We continue building that work to improving health equity and access to lung cancer screening among vulnerable populations. So with that, I just want to say thank you, Jeff, Alex, Jela, here to join in all today and to the National Lung Cancer Roundtable, to the. American College of Radiology for providing the platform and the incredible opportunity to chat today here and hopefully to the audience that is listening to the podcast. And if they have any questions or anything, please feel free to reach out, but also listen to the other podcasts and connect with the amazing resources that are available through the National Lung Cancer Roundtable and the American Cancer Society and the American College of Radiology. Thank you so much.
0: Plural Space is a joint production by the American College of Radiology and the National Lung Cancer Roundtable. Episodes were produced by Hannah Burson, with series production assistance by Tiffany Gowan, Lauren Rosenthal, and Kenley Byrne. Editing of this series is by Port City Films. A webinar on this episode's topic, as well as additional information, can be found at the link in the episode description.